I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement, And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. How can everyone's voice be heard, no matter if you are an introvert or what position you hold? With over 20 years of corporate experience in locations all around the world, Jody Golden, founder of Org Design Work and former head of global development and learning at BASF, shares stories on how, as an introvert, she was able to make her voice be heard by top leadership. Jody also shares stories about how to build effective ways of communicating and getting work done at team level, eventually scaling up into a company-wide culture of listening. Enjoy listening in. If you look back at all your experiences also working in organizations, what has been your biggest surprise? Or maybe there's a story that you can share that shows what has surprised you about listening. Well, I guess I guess I've always been aware at, at some level that listening is important. But if I look back, if I think back and you know, maybe going quite a way back uh, to earlier in my career and uh I'm thinking of a time when I moved to a new job and it was my first big job as an HR manager, you know, where I really be responsible for everything. Uh, and so I moved to this new job and I, I was full of, you know, enthusiasm and ambition. And I thought, well, here's my job in this new role. There's going to be all sorts of problems that I've never encountered before. And I have to find a way to solve all those problems. I knew that that's what I'd done before to be successful. I'd been able to solve problems. So here I am in, you know, in my first day at this this big, new, exciting job. On the very first day, someone comes into my office, one of the employees, and she says to me, okay, Jody, can I talk to you about something that's a real, a real challenge for me? And I said, okay, fine. She sits down. Then suddenly she burst into tears. She's sitting there and she's crying and she's telling me about how she has conflict with her boss and how she doesn't know if she can still work with him. And she's telling me about all these different behaviors and experiences that are making her feel really bad. She's really emotional and, you know, and she's sitting there crying. And my response is just internally to freeze and to panic because I'm thinking, I don't know how to solve this. What shall I do? I'm thinking her boss is my peer. I don't even know him. And what if she's right? I don't know who's right or wrong and what would he say and all these kind of things. My brain was just trying to figure out what am I going to do here? So I didn't say anything. (laughs) I just sat there and she kept talking. And then at the end of the hour, she says to me, Jody, thank you so much for listening. That really helped me. I feel much better now. 
and she left my office. If I look back on that now, okay, I was not being a good listener in that moment. So this is not a story about how I learned about being a good listener. But what I can see now when I look back on that is that there was a big barrier to me being able to be a good listener in that moment because the barrier for me was the belief that I have to solve the problem as quickly as possible and in the moment. And I wouldn't be able to become a good listener until I'd that barrier had gone away for me. Then, so, so I had to learn that, you know, I don't have to solve any problem when I'm listening to someone, that being a good listener in itself is already a good intervention. And I feel like in organizations, that's a barrier and there's a lot of barriers that are stopping people from being really good listeners. That's a great story. And, you know, when I think back, it could have been that you would have jumped in and tried to figure things out. On one hand, it was kind of good that you froze. You know, <laughs> it was great that you froze. I mean, I know, I, you know, we've known each other for some time now. And I know that you're also someone who likes to think about what you're going to say before you actually say something, you know, instead of just jumping in. And so that probably helped you in this moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could have been, it, it could also have been a learning experience if I jumped in and tried to solve it. I, it probably wouldn't have worked. Um, and I might have, I might have learned anyway, but it was already enough for me to have that feeling of, you know, of panic and resistance. And the fact that she left feeling good and feeling, you know, connected, and it helped calm her down. So she came in in kind of a flight or fight or flight kind of modus and left relaxed, right? Thinking yeah. more clearly. Yeah. So even my not very good listening, was still the kind of listening that helped in the situation. You know, that was a long time ago at the beginning of your career. And then, you know, fast forward, you became probably more aware of, of how listening plays out. That was, a, that was a learning of a barrier. Maybe you started to pay attention to how to actually work on those listening skills. So not only uh, to move past barriers, but also to grow those skills. When did you really strategically start to consider how to bring listening into your work? Well, I guess that you know, there's a lot of people that I've learned from, like you, Raquel, you put listening at the core of your work and, and show how listening plays a role in everything. And, you know, for me personally, I started to learn how listening makes me more effective as a person. Um, but my work is really, and the thing that I'm fascinated by is how organizations work and how organizations can be more effective. Companies today are full of amazing and talented and motivated people, but people will say that, you know, even when people have learned how to be good at listening and maybe they've gone to a course and they've practiced and they've been really inspired, they've come back to the workplace and they say, well, it's not working for me in the organization. So I started to become fascinated by how you can create an organizational culture of listening and to see how when people, when you are able to create that kind of way of working where people really listen to each other, you can see very quickly how the work becomes more effective and teams can become more effective. What are you learning there? What are some what are some really key learnings that you're taking away from what you're noticing yeah. by your work? What I'm learning about is how do you get from individual listening to organizational listening? And I'm really I'm really passionate about the work that I do with teams. So at team level, you can design ways of working in everyday work. 
so that individuals get to be good listeners every day. Like how do you listen well in regular meetings? How do people give and receive feedback to each other in a team? How are different and diverse opinions processed so that the team can then come up with better decisions and more effective ways of allocating work? And so if teams can improve their effectiveness by building in new ways of working that help them to be good listeners, then the team culture becomes one of good listening. And so then the question becomes how to scale that to an entire organization. You know, this is something when you're thinking about company-wide change, I think it's important to know that that kind of change requires investment. So if you start to experiment in a few teams, um, you can learn what works. Even if that's wildly successful, it doesn't mean that it's going to organically translate into company-wide culture change, right? Because when you think about each team, it probably has a lot to do with how, I mean, at least at this point in time, because I don't think there's a lot of organizations that are really taking listening as their value and, and, and paying attention to what do those behaviors actually mean in terms of what the science is saying. You know, um, there's this assumption we know what good listening is, but what, when it comes down to it, if you pay attention to what the science is saying, it may be a little different than what we've assumed, right? And um, even though, and we're still trying to figure this out anyway. And when you start with a team, you can influence like so many teams, but it probably depends on the the manager or the lead, what type of training they've had, if it if they're willing and they think it matters. <laughs> well, a lot of people are asking, you know, well, if I can integrate listening practice in my team or in my work, that's good. But how do I convince my boss? Or or people say, well, I, yeah, but, but this leader isn't willing to, you know, they don't believe it. So how do we, how do we convince them to do that? I guess the answer is you can't really. If someone is not already open, <laughs> I don't know what you think, but if someone is not already open and has at least some idea that the change is worthwhile, then it would be very difficult, right? Um, I don't know if, if you know, people are listening to podcasts and then and then coming back with the feedback, say, well, actually, I didn't believe at all that listening is a good thing, but now I've listened to the podcast, I've totally changed my mind. Um, in my experience, it's more likely that people are coming to give feedback to say, yeah, I I, I was wondering about listening already. And when I've listened to this, I'd really like to learn more about how to do it, right? Yeah, I think what you're, hit, you're, what you're hitting on, uh, for people who already have experienced the value, I think that's the thing. First, to for um, individuals to experience what the value is. And I don't think just telling someone what the benefits are is enough to experience it. And so the more experiences we can give to people that show the value of listening, how it helps us to make better decisions and think further, you know, um, this is helpful. I do think that some of the research that's happening now, and there's, you know, more coming soon, that hopefully within another year or so, we can really show the impact more on bottom line. There, there's some there, but it's growing. Um, and perhaps then that will support people who have not been so willing, but when the, once they see the bottom line, the people who aren't so care worried about uh, individuals' well-being and whatnot, you know, they're just worried about the bottom line. And the people who are paying more attention, I would say, are also people who notice that when they integrate listening into their team or with themselves, that they also feel better. The team works better. They're more motivated. They're more excited. 
and engaged. And so it's a balance of productivity, performance, and well-being. But it takes some time, you know. Yeah. And I, I love, I always love to find out what's the research that's coming out and how can we use that to talk about the work that we're doing. Um, and different people like to hear the messages in different, I guess, kind of in different contexts. So, you know, and it, 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 to be honest, in my work, I am having a lot of conversations about productivity, effectiveness, the need for companies to be more innovative, to be more customer focused. And these are all compelling, really strong and compelling business reasons why they need to change their culture. So that kind of, that kind of conversation can be really helpful. But I'm also very optimistic and positive that there are a lot of people inside organizations, people and leaders who are really open and actually they already have a motivation and a drive to change. So, you know, I was thinking about, well, how if you're in an organization, how you can be listening for clues that other people are willing to change and you can find allies. So, you know, if you are, if you are really paying attention, you will find that there's a lot of people who want, who want to change and who are willing to make changes. Um, and I think you also need to be open about what you believe in and then people will come to you. So that's my experience and learning. You know, sometimes I think, well, there's no one else who gets this, but if I find you know, a stage, if I find a place where I can talk about what I do and why, inevitably people will approach me and they'll say, hey, that sounds interesting. I want to learn more. And that's when things start happening. And when you're talking to some of these people about new ways of working and weaving in listening is so that the chances of a listening culture, at least within the team, you know, and hopefully will spread as possible, can you give an example of what new ways of working might look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. First, maybe to comment on, actually, I, I have to admit, I probably don't talk about listening as much as I could. You know, I, I can't think of an example really where I talked with a customer about creating a listening culture even though that's maybe what we're actually doing somehow. So somehow, sometimes, well, often listening is not the kind of starting point. And often even when we're working on something and we're really creating ways of listening, people maybe don't realize until after they've experienced it that listening was what they were doing. One of my favorite things or my favorite tools, I guess you could call it, to work on with teams is what I call focused decision-making. And there are a number of versions of this and different sources where they come from. But basically what this means is in a team situation where you need to make a kind of operational decisions, uh, you would have one person who owns the topic who is not necessarily the boss, and that person makes a proposal for the decision. And every other person in the meeting is responsible to listen, to really listen and understand. And once everyone understands the proposal, the topic owner must invite feedback, and then they have the responsibility to listen without judgment and with openness and with intent to understand. And then they have to 
adjust the proposal to accommodate what they've heard or to explain why not. And if necessary, you go into another round of feedback and listening. And then the topic owner makes the decision. So it's not a, it's not a consensus decision-making process where everyone has to agree. So most people think, well, this is, must take longer. And often they all say, oh, we don't have time for this. This is going to take too much time. But every time I've worked with teams like this, we measure how long it takes. We found that it's faster every time. But even more importantly, it's more effective. So one team said to me, well, we've made decisions in the last 45 minutes that we've been struggling to make for months. So once you practice it and they see it and then they understand, okay, what's happening here is we're actually applying listening. So this is a structure and a tool that is, is creating the space for people to listen to each other. It's, it's important to understand, not just to give opinions, to give ideas, to discuss. So the last team said, okay, we, did, we made this decision in 45 minutes. That's been taking us months to do. What's the difference? So the difference is that I think it's exactly how you describe it. You've you created a structure where everyone in the room has the opportunity to give their perspective. And you've also created an accountability or responsibility to listen. And people, when I do it at first, I, you know, you start by facilitating that. So people learn what they need to do. And then after maybe two or three rounds, everyone in the room can facilitate themselves. But inevitably, especially at the beginning, teams will drift off and they'll kind of fall back into past, you know, their usual patterns, which is that especially certain people will usually jump in and they'll dominate the conversation and they'll try to push their point of view. They will really want to insist because they're trying to be heard, right? They'll insist that their way, you know, that their opinion is the way it should go. So just putting in that little bit of structure so that I guess you put a box around each person's opinion and everyone will quickly understand that they, they will be heard so they don't need to jump in. It doesn't help to jump in. It's not necessary to compete. Everyone gets a voice. And when they're going around and giving the feedback part, people are asking for clarification or with questions. How do you create it so it's not that someone's just trying to defend their answer, but they're trying to explore understanding? People will understand. People will understand the idea, okay, this round is for understanding. You know, we're trying to understand. And then they'll start to intervene. They'll say, oh, I think that's an opinion, not a question for understanding, you know, kind of thing. So if you say, okay, first everyone understands. And then secondly, people talk about what's their different perspective. You know, they can explain why. So if we have different roles in a team, then it's very likely that I have a different opinion because this affects how I do my job. You know, so I want you to understand from me how this affects my job. And I want you to then try to accommodate and make the decision a bit different. When you think about that and, and the team culture, what you're creating there, there's this, um, there's always this balance or not this balance, but this play interplay between team and individual impact in our um employee communication meetings when, you know, some of the C-levels would do with their presentation, the questions that came from the audience afters were always, you know, how does this impact me <laughs> in my day-to-day? -day? When you take that and then you move it into the organizational context, the impact on the organization, I would imagine that these decisions that are being made in the team, if there's a way to 
also integrate in there, maybe you do already, um, how that's connected to the business outcomes. And have we listened and understood the business outcomes, overall business outcomes, and how is that connected? That could be part of listening to the organization. And at the same time, if we could get people, you know, at board level, C level, whatever, to do a similar process, and then notice how their decisions are impacting the teams, you know, was you know going downward and understanding that way, it would be really that, that would probably support this listening culture. <laughs> Maybe one of the most powerful things you can do with the with the top leadership, you know, with the leadership team, because leadership teams are also teams and they also make decisions within their team. So what I find is really important to help them shift from the idea that they have to find the way that all of the teams will work and then tell them how to work, but actually start with their own team and practice this in their own team. And actually leadership teams are, you know, have even more challenges because so what I've observed is that as you as as leadership teams become more and more senior, they actually work less together as a team and they work more individually. You know, there's lots of opportunities to get you get a senior leadership team together and then help them see how they are making decisions together, which some leadership teams don't even do. You know, they just they just all go their own ways and make their decisions by themselves. But then when they can experience for themselves what happens when they make decisions in different ways, um, then that's a great step towards allowing the rest of the organization to do that. It's, it is really interesting. The higher you go up, the more you try to, you're more doing the more the individual um, decisions. And, you know, often people, the higher they go up, the more lonely they are, quote unquote. And yet they don't, wouldn't have to be especially when you consider something like you're talking about now, then they might realize, even though they're maybe coming from different perspectives or having, having different things in mind, that they're all working on similar, there's probably very common ground challenges and issues and decisions that if they would support each other a little bit more in this process, that they could actually help each other be smarter and make better decisions and influence the organization in a more powerful way. And especially when you talk, when you say influence the organization in a more powerful way, because those, those kind of really big challenges that the whole organization is facing, which might be about how to solve new challenges from the market or how to innovate or how strategically shift the organization, all of those kind of unfamiliar and complex problems, they can't be solved by one person. You know, they need to have a kind of a coalition of diverse opinions in the room. So at the very least, you know, the whole leadership team, but probably more than just the leadership team, actually it requires listening to customers, listening to employees, listening to, you know, all the different functions in the organization in order to be able to solve those big challenges. Otherwise, they will just fail. You know what this reminds me of? And I, I'm trying to remember if you were a part of this or not, but um, when we were working for Cognos and we, the sustainability topic, that was when it was first becoming important. And we were kind of ahead of, a, ahead of the game in the you know, chemical industry world, in this world. And then we started, we, the communications department helped to facilitate sustainability council to bring them together so that they would talk about whatever needed to be talk, talked about. And so there were people from all different areas of the company who were brought into a room together and met regularly. And what I noticed in this situation that even though the topic was sustainability, 
um, that this was the first time that these people from different businesses, from different areas in the business were coming together to talk about a topic and find common ground. Let's put it this way. The ripple effect of that was then people started to develop relationships. And I started to notice that relationships were being built, best practices were being shared in other areas beyond the topic of sustainability. And that started to support a more connected culture that would impact the strategy of the organization just by having a topic that had a common ground. In the end, I thought, you know, I know that topic brought people together, but I think the the ripple effect on impacting other areas of the business was probably more important. Did you observe that how listening was happening in that in that example? You know, I don't think I was that aware of listening back then. Yeah. <laughs> when I look back, you know, I, I'm much more aware of listening now than I was back then. And yet... I'm sure there were discussions and people not listening to each other yeah. <laughs> because there were a lot of strong personalities and a lot of ideas, but, but there was, but there was an entrepreneurship mindset. Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't remember specifically, but what I do remember and what's really clear for me is that across businesses that people who normally had not taken the time to talk to each other were starting to talk to each other. And I noticed that informally they were sharing best practices, helping each other, each other solve some challenges that they had. They were supporting each other more in, in the informal network than they were before. And I thought, oh, it's just getting people together, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and getting them to talk about also the sustainability. Maybe that was something that not everybody had an expert answer. There's no, we all needed each other to make that work. Perhaps that's why there might have been more listening happening than in other circumstances. I'm not sure. Right. And the, what you've made me think of is that it's the idea of having a common purpose or having a common agenda at some level. If you have motivation to do something, same goal, same purpose, same overall reason to be there, then that's already one of the, I think, one of the fundamental building blocks to even be able to use tools and methods for good listening, right? And maybe that connects back to what you said earlier about going from the team level to the organization level, like how is what we're doing connected to the goals of the organization? So you could have a fantastic performing team that is able to make fast and effective decisions and innovate, but if they're working on something that doesn't fit with what the rest of the organization is doing, then probably, you know, that's not going to be a productive way to go forward. And one of the questions that I get asked a lot is how do I get, you know, in the hierarchy, how do I get people above me to listen to me? Um, and this happens at all different levels, you know, every the layers up. And how do I get my voice heard? One of the things that I value in you is that you're someone that you're not just someone that just, you know, talks a lot. <laughs> you're someone that actually takes in information, thinks about it, chews on it, and then you give back a really clear and meaningful answer. At least, you know, I always connect with what you say, and, and you do a great job of helping to simplify very complex situations, at least in my mind. <laughs> For someone who's, you know, growing in their career, and even people who on the board level want to be, want their voice heard, and you're also someone that, you're not someone that dominates, you know, through talking. You're more, I would say a little bit, I don't know if you label yourself a little bit more introverted, you take time to chew on things, to think on things. What, for those type of people, how do they, how do you get your voice heard? Because you do a phenomenal job of doing that. 
Yeah, thanks for that. And you're right. I I see myself as an introvert, so I know that in meetings I'm not usually the one who's speaking the most. Um, and actually knowing that about myself, knowing that I'm someone who likes to take time to think about things, it's helpful to know that. Um, and I think maybe over the years I've developed some different strategies for how you know how I make that work for me. So one of the things that I do. Um, I do a lot um, when I'm working with my customers or when I'm working with my stakeholders is that I I simply tell people that that's how I work. Um, so what do I mean by that? If I'm in a meeting and we're discussing something, usually towards the end of the meeting, I say, I am a person who likes to reflect on what I've heard. And often my best ideas come to me in, you know, one or two days after the conversation. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to come back to you next week or tomorrow and share with you some of my thoughts, either in an email or in a follow-up conversation. And what I found is that my customers really appreciate that. They like that I'm going to think about what they've said and they are happy to wait one more day for some good ideas. So that's one of the, one of the things I do. Um, and other things I think are around remembering that there are different ways to make your point. So if you feel more comfortable writing your ideas rather than speaking your ideas, then you can look for ways to, you know, get your point in writing. Um, earlier in my career, I used to be really happy if I was asked to take the minutes at a meeting. So other people might resist that. They might say, oh, well, why do I have to take the minutes? It's, you know, not my thing. But I found it was really useful because then I have a platform that everyone's going to read afterwards and which I can kind of organize and thoughtfully add my, you know, not add my comments, but influence in some way how people are processing the information. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes you can get an invitation to join a much more senior level meeting if you're there officially to take the notes or take the minutes. So hmm. that can help. And what about at the board level? Also had some pretty high positions in organizations, and now you also are working, you're on different boards. When you think about the dynamics and the, the, how communication works in these environments, what would you say is important to get your voice heard or to listen well, some techni techniques there, or how to influence the, the culture at that level? Perhaps you have some thoughts there. There's a lot of, a lot of ways in which that's really hard to do as an individual person in a meeting, you know, as one of the participants in the meeting, if you are in an environment which it feels like, you know, if you do speak up, no one is listening or there's no space in the conversation to listen. So that's where I think that, and, you know, it's one of the reasons I love the work I do on designing. So if you have the opportunity and maybe you need to do this one-on-one -on -one with the person who heads the meeting or something like that, but to help structure the agenda for the meeting in a way that there's a space for everyone to be heard. If you have the opportunity to suggest that instead of just letting people speak up, that you really go around the work room and, and make sure everyone had a chance to speak. And some leaders are very good at that and other leaders don't even, it doesn't even occur to them to do that because they assume that all the voices that wanted to speak up already said something. Uh, so designing a meeting, designing the meeting in a way that you will allow more voices to be heard uh, can really help. And let's move into, I know one of the areas that you love is something that perhaps some of our listeners don't know this word, but I would say it's generative listening. So it's a type of listening that 
you are sensing into the future. So you're probably doing some of this if you're considering new ideas, brainstorming new where the direction or trying to sense into the direction of where the organization needs to go according to what the opportunities or challenges are or whatnot. Um, how would you describe generative listening and how are you looking at this type of listening and, and ways to bring it into organizations? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I'm really fascinated by this and I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. So I'm really interested right now in uh, understanding better the link between listening and innovation, right? So if you're, you know, if you're in a group conversation, when the conversation becomes generative, if we can call it that, if you think of, maybe think of a time when you had a really thoughtful conversation where you started to see things differently. And as you're in this group conversation, new ideas start to emerge and you feel motivated, not because it's your own ideas getting accepted, not because you think, huh, everyone's listening to my ideas, but because simply because of the new ideas that are being generated. So for me, the clearest signal that I'm in part of a generative conversation is that at the end of the conversation, I don't even know whose idea it was. It feels like it's the product of everyone's contribution and that the ideas have just emerged from the group. And the only way I know how to create that kind of conversation is through listening, right? And, and so that's really important because with the organizations that I'm working with, which are usually quite big multinationals, they struggle with creating an innovation culture. And what we understand a lot about, or my work we understand a lot about is that they're held back by bureaucracy, by hierarchy, by legacy processes that slow things down. And there's a way to design organizations for better innovation by putting the innovation closer to the customers, by having kind of processes that support agile experimentation and allow failures. But those, those companies that are super successful at innovation, I suspect that good listening is embedded in the way that they work somehow, listening to customers or listening to employees um, or having a setup that enables those generative conversations. So I'd love to learn more about that link uh, between innovation and listening. I think when a lot of people are thinking about that, they think of communication, you know, brainstorming ideas. There's a lot of focus on the verbal part where at the same time, it's the, the listening piece. And that's usually very silent. So you don't recognize the power of that because it's so quiet, but very subtle. Yet the listening is what creates the space for people to think. It creates the space for people to relax so that their mind is more clear and they can come up with more ideas. And they're more expressing thoughts and ideas more than trying to persuade anybody. And once you, once the group can get into that space where they're just kind of expressing and listening to each other and, and building upon each other, that's part of what helps the, and, and the generative listening. I think another sign is that the feeling of the room or when you leave that, that hour or 45 minutes or half an hour, 15 minutes when it comes down to it, people tend to be energized or inspired. That's also a nice sign. Exactly. And that's how it feels to come out of one of those conversations, those, those meetings. 
what I'm learning from the science is that when there's really effective listening and this listening is, it's pretty simple, but it's not easy that we're paying full attention in that moment um, that we're letting go of judgment and opinions. You know, we're trying to be open-minded and really bring in this curiosity mindset, being interested and willing and open. You'll see, you'll almost notice a moment in the group and where people start to relax. And when people start to relax, that's when they start working with each other instead of competing against each other. That's when they start, like I said before, expressing themselves versus persuading each other. And once you're able to get to that space, that's when uh, those new ideas can can show up. And I think that the companies who are able to do that, for example, with customers to create that that kind of conversation and listening with their customers are probably the ones that are doing really well with with innovating with customers and and uh, customer intimacy. And one of the areas that seems where people struggle so much uh, is feedback, giving and receiving feedback. I think that's a huge stress factor. And I was wondering if you had any uh, tips or suggestions or thoughts on feedback that might support the listeners. You do a lot of work with uh, Avi and he's done some amazing work around feedback, which I find really interesting and I learned a lot. Um, but one of the things to jump that jumps to mind when you say that is, is that, you know, how feedback plays a role in the way we've set up our organizations and how that is actually somehow in conflict with what we would consider to be good listening. So what do I mean by that? So what I what I have in mind is that something I've heard very often from you, Raquel, about listening is to be able to listen with with good intentions, with positive regard and without judgment or criticism of the person that you're listening to. And we know that that's very important to create psychological safety and to allow people to have a conversation that is constructive and which they'll leave the conversation uh, feeling good. And on the other hand, we have feedback in organizations, which is very often built in as part of a performance appraisal process or a performance evaluation. Now, notice now we've got the words appraisal and evaluation. It doesn't take much for me to get to the word judgment and criticism. Um, mm-hmm. So we're actually putting feedback into a space which is by definition judging, right? Um, so it's not really a surprise that a lot of people are struggling with that kind of with that kind of feedback. And and people that's pe- the people who are receiving feedback and the people who are giving feedback. So if you're a leader, if you've got a direct report and you want to have a really great meeting with them and share feedback with them and it's part of a performance appraisal process and you've got carrying on your shoulders the pressure that you have to judge everyone in your team and decide who is the best performer and who is the worst performer, then it's almost impossible to have a very constructive and positive conversation, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's one of the things that makes it difficult. You know, some of the basics about feedback, it's good to try and find a context in which to have a feedback conversation, which is, I think, more supportive. So, you know, when you have the employee's best interests at heart, when you understand um, what the employee needs and wants from the conversation, 
um, and you're able to listen to their perspective, then I think you can have a much more constructive conversation. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing that when you look at the research, what what Abby did on feedback and how it doesn't work very well mm-hmm. at all, whether even if it's positive or negative, that's because we're putting our perspective on the other person mm-hmm. and we're telling them what we think and how they what they should do. It's judgment, and, right? Right, exactly, and that. <clears throat> Um, for people to change. So if you want this person to be more open and willing to change, uh, to take time to maybe describe the situation in more um, objective language, mm-hmm. right? Focusing on the task and the behavior of the project. If you do that, wait and listen, ask questions, what they think and hear their perspective, like you talked about, and really spend time being curious and and listening to them without the judgment. The chances that they will be able to explore that situation themselves and to come up with an idea themselves that they're more likely to engage in and change is much higher Mm -hmm. than you telling them what to do. You know, so it doesn't mean that you can't bring in your opinions, but listen to them first. The chances that when you say something, then they're more likely to listen to what you have to say because you've listened to them first. And that also, and if you've been listening in a high quality manner where they are starting to feel more safe, then they're more likely to be able, even from a psychological standpoint, to receive what you're telling them. What I personally find kind of challenging about this, this idea that feedback is not always, you know, not necessarily a good thing is that I'm someone who I've always found it really important to ask for feedback and I still do. So, you know, I want to hear feedback. I want to get feedback so that I can learn and so that I can improve, you know? So after this podcast, I'm probably going to ask you, how did I do Raquel? But I think there's some, some, maybe some deeper digging to do there, which is really understanding what's the reason for the Mm -hmm. feedback. You know, are you and, giving me feedback for me to improve? Are you giving me feedback because you need something from me, or, right. or that we both ha- we both get on the same page about why we're having the conversation? And when it comes down to it, we have a certain trust level where you know that if I do give you feedback or you ask me for that, that it's in your best interest. And so maybe that's part of it. Is once if there's a certain if time is taken where a relationship is built, where um, where we know that the other person has us in their best interest, you know, that they really care, that then um, then I think people are much open. And actually, I, th- I hear a lot of people who really like having feedback because it helps us grow. And when I think about it, though, it has a lot to do with the relationship that has been built, this relationship built on trust. And perhaps maybe that's even something to think about when doing performance reviews or whatever, that it doesn't start at that moment. It actually starts way before and the relationship that's built with your team. You have lived in Asia. You have lived in Europe. And you're from Australia. So we have a lot of continents here. <laughs> um, what have you noticed in terms of how to engage diverse teams from different cultures to communicate well with each other? Any thoughts or tips on that? Yeah, I, I sometimes I sometimes I think I'm not the best person to ask about different cultures because I often say I'm culturally confused. Um, <laughs> so after a while, you know, I'm I'm so used to adapting to different cultures and environments that I might not be doing it consciously. But I think one thing I I would share is that there's maybe not as there's not really as much difference as people think in that. 
differences for me sometimes feel a bit superficial. And if I think about listening, I mean, I would, I would put my hand on my heart and say listening is super important no matter which culture I've been a part of. The difference, though, is how do you, how do you create the space? How do you create the ways of working that will enable people to listen to each other in different cultures? So if I look back, if I think back to when I worked in, in Asia and I worked in, to make it more specific, I worked in, I lived in China and I worked with teams that were coming from different, different countries in Asia Pacific. So I, quite a diverse team of people from different backgrounds and cultures. And what I observed when I moved there is that in team meetings, my direct reports were less likely to speak up and voice their opinion compared with, let's say, European colleagues. So for me, it was important to try and find a way to make sure that all the voices were heard in the meetings. Um, and there are a number of ways to do that. Um, one is by going around the room and inviting everyone to speak um, rather than uh, just letting the people who are, you know, who are louder to speak. Um, and another way was to invite people in advance to present something such as a, you know, something they've been doing in their own team and their own country. Um, so I don't think there's any, you know, quick answer that there's one right or wrong way to do things, but just being really aware and observing and then adjusting, you know, adjusting to fit the team that you're working with. Yeah. I, I remember you facilitating calls um, when we used to work together where mm -hmm. you would send an agenda or something beforehand for people to work on questions, I mm -hmm. think, that where people would answer them. And then in the call itself, uh, you would go around the circle calling uh, the names, you know, so that everybody had a chance to have their, their voice heard. And I remember that was a very different experience compared to some other calls that right. I was on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And if people want to get in touch with you, maybe you can just talk a little bit about um, your your current uh, work situation and then and um, how people can get in touch with you and why they would want to get in touch with you. Okay. Well, well, the uh, we we've talked quite a bit about um, the the days of working together inside of big organizations and and that's a big part of my background. Um, but today I have uh, I founded a consulting business in recent years, and so I it, that is called Org Design Works. And we're helping organizations to design better ways of working together. Um, so there is an Org Design Works website, which you can check out. Um, and you can connect with me on LinkedIn. So I thought I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and the kinds of, of uh, organizations that we work with are typically uh, quite large international organizations. We're working in Europe and soon we'll be working in the US as well. And those organizations that have the need for a strategic or a cultural change, um, then we can help guide kind of step by step as to how to help them get there. It has been such a pleasure, Jody, and I love talking to you. I'm sure we will do this again I'm, sometime soon. I'm sure we will. No, same for me, Raquel. I am your host, Raquel Ark from Listening Alchemy, and I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. 
Please subscribe and like this podcast and share it with others so we can catalyze a listening movement together. A big thank you to Ivo Timan for producing the music and Cecilia Mercado for getting this podcast set up. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy listening in.